Hello, you're listening to Trends Distilled, a podcast series from independent family-owned premium spirits company, William Grant & Sons. From the nationwide closure of bars and restaurants to changes in the way we work, shop and socialise, the drinks industry, like many others, has faced a challenging time. So to navigate this new environment, the distiller behind brands such as Hendrix Gin, Glenfiddich and the Balveni explores insightful predictions using the findings of its annual trends report. I'm Tanya Breyer and in each episode I'll be joined by a series of guests to delve into this new research looking at the evolving habits, values and lifestyles of UK consumers from the short-term disruption of COVID-19 to the impact of changes that are here to stay. We'll also be letting you in on a few trade secrets, washed down with perfect cocktail recipes from some incredibly talented bartenders. Well, hello and welcome to our first virtual bar. This week, we're going to talk about how staying at home glued to our devices has changed the way we see ourselves and each other. And we're going to see if we can make a whiskey cocktail while we do it. So joining me today, please welcome Tamara Lawson, Head of Strategic Planning and Insights at William Grant & Sons, Charlie Warwick, the Head of Futures Practice at Cantar Consulting and UK Brand Ambassador for the Balvany, Orwin Gwilt. Welcome, everyone. Hello, Tanya. Hi, Tanya. Hi. And everybody else. What a pleasure to be with you virtually. Yes. Now, of course, no virtual bar would be complete without a bartender. So a huge welcome goes to our lovely Eve Russell, who's joining us from the Hyde & Co in Bristol. Eve, how are you? Hi, thank you, Tanya. I'm good. I know, sadly, that the bar is closed at the moment, but I'd love to know what you're going to make for us today. Yes, I'm afraid Hyde & Co isn't open to our guests at the moment. Um, I am really happy to be back behind the bar. So our drink is called the Speyside Royale, with the name being a little nod to the region that Balveni comes from. It's also a twist on quite a well-known drink, the Kia Royale. Oh, that sounds wonderful, Eve. Well, I should point out that I know all of you, like me, have got the ingredients that were delivered to us very kindly by William Grant. We've got them at home. We've got them in front of us. So, Eve, go ahead. (laughs) Tell us what to do. Okay, so in our drink, we've got uh, some orange and chocolate bitters, some raspberry liqueur, uh, Campari, We've got just a touch of absinthe. Go again. <laughs> Not too much absinthe. Um, oh, my glass is smelling like Terry's chocolate orange at the moment. <laughs> we've got some raspberry liqueur, which I think really complements the uh, sweet sherry flavours of the Balvenie in this drink. And some Campari, a uh, bitter aperitif, uh, just to cut through the sweetness of the drink slightly. And also just a touch of sugar syrup. Nice, I like that, Eve, because I'm not always a fan of such a sweet drink. Oh, okay, sugar sugar syrup next. <laughs> just a touch, yeah. Five mils of sugar syrup. And then we'll be taking all of our ingredients um, and chilling and diluting them by stirring over ice, which I'm going to do now. Is it okay to be using a fork as a stirring implement? (laughs) I think whatever you've got at home is absolutely fine. (laughs) 
<laughs> so I'll be straining it into our finished glass yeah. and very importantly topping with our sparkling wine to finish chilled sparkling wine perfect yeah I'm just pouring it in it's looking so beautiful if everybody's ready cheers everyone enjoy your space side royale cheers Ooh. thank you cheers <laughs> guys Wow, thank you so much, Eve. Cheers, everyone. This looks amazing. No worries. Enjoy, everyone. Mm. Mm. Wonderful. Tamara, tell me a bit about William Grant and what prompted you to do Trending 2021. Yeah, so William Grant is a a family-owned, UK-located spirits company, It was started in 1887 by Mr. William Grant, who built the first distillery brick by brick in 1887. We have um, some fantastic brands in our portfolio and create some of the finest Scotch whiskey in the world. One of our great brands is Glenfiddich, which is the world's most awarded single malt. We have Balvenie, which is a handcrafted malt. Some other iconic brands such as Hendrix Gin, Sailor Jerry Rum, Drambui, uh, Tullamore Dew, Irish Whiskey, among uh, a, a wide portfolio. The market report is um, something that we've been producing for nine years. It brings together category insight and uh, drinks industry trends. And we're calling it this year Trending 2021. And we've overlaid that with a consumer trends piece that we've worked with Kantar Consulting on. But obviously, because of the seismic impact of COVID on people's lives, we've had to review it and we've been digging into kind of how COVID has impacted people and how they're connecting with the world around them. Well, as you say, Tamara, it's had a huge impact. And Charlie, I want to ask you, it's been a a year of massive changes. How does Cantal work out the impact that it's had on all of us? Mm. I'm enjoying my cocktail a little bit too much here. Well, um, great question. So if you're talking about trends and the sorts of impact that trends are having on people's lives, there are two different levels of trend that we need to consider. There's a high level kind of macro level of trend, big demographic trends, big technological trends or economic forecasts. And then there's a level down, which is the consumer trend. And that's what we were really honing in on with William Grants in this work. And Kantar has actually been tracking consumer values and attitudinal trends for decades now. And what we've seen that's been so interesting this year is that COVID hasn't necessarily thrown everything up and out of kilter. Yes, of course, our lives have been disrupted, but it's actually accelerated a lot of the trends that we were seeing before COVID anyway. And I'm sure we can talk about some of those today, but just important to remember that disruption can also be an accelerant when it comes to consumer trends. Yeah, it's so interesting, isn't it, Olwen? I mean, this idea of cocooning at home, but engaging with the outside world online, do you think that was happening more anyway? Absolutely. I think, Tanya, we've been seeing that um, over the last couple of years where social media has become such a more rigorous part and, and continual part of our lives that that engagement has been happening either way. But I think we've seen potentially more of 
not only a shift and a focus to that because we are using our devices so much more, but also more of a comfort with it as well across not only a younger demographic, but an older demographic as well. I've noticed it because I've seen so many more consumers really sharing their lives, their experiences of things that they're enjoying at home, whether that's making a drink in their own home bar or things like that, joining a cocktail masterclass online. I've been noticing that so much more because I'm obviously partaking in that. We have definitely seen that there, there's still a feeling of isolation for sure during this, this latest period. But I think being able to reach a much wider audience through social media has allowed us to feel connected in ways we maybe didn't imagine. Mm-hmm. I, I would jump in. I mean, I love what you just said, Owen, that we can't forget the older generation here. Um, that actually what, what we've seen um, just through Kantar data uh, in the last year is that 30% of the people who are now shopping online, so new entrants to the e-commerce space, are actually retirees. So this is an entirely new um, sort of market and an underserved community who are now jumping online and engaging with these online conversations. Um, and I think we, we just can't forget that tranche of society. I think that's absolutely right, Charlie. And Tamara, tell me a little bit more about those broad themes that influence our decisions about what to buy and who to buy it from. And how do you think that's been different over the past year? We've um, identified five key themes in this research. Um, We've called them the Mys um, because they're very personal to the individual. So my identity, my health, my expectations, my values and my experiences. And my identity is a really interesting one to start with. How people view themselves has been fundamentally impacted by COVID. Um, We've seen a limit on social interactions but also a real change in pace in life. So a time for reflection on how we view ourselves um, and how we kind of portray ourselves as well. It's been a really interesting time as well because we've all um, had to deal with a certain amount of uncertainty. People are therefore showing also more vulnerability online and therefore their kind of more authentic side of themselves. We're seeing more kind of raw stories, like talking more about mental health but also um, how they're coping and that often comes through in a kind of humorous way as well. Yeah because Covid has shrunk our social spheres as well tomorrow hasn't in the short term. What impact do you think that's had on us? Yeah socially our our kind of circles have got much much smaller so we're not traveling to work or a lot of us aren't traveling to work anymore and even if we are we're still worried about kind of wide social circles because of the virus. But that's kind of led to some positive things. So we're caring more about those in our close vicinity around us, more about our neighbours and our community. Um, But because of this ability to connect decreasing, um, we've actually seen uh, people defining themselves more by their socioeconomic kind of status. COVID has absolutely highlighted uh, a weakening in our government systems and society, and it's exacerbated the social cultural divides that we have. So the progress agenda has obviously been kind of front and centre during this time. And it's a really interesting tension that we've been kind of um, looking into between people caring more about their neighbourhood and their kind of close community, but also about wider social issues, albeit from afar. 
Yeah, do you think, Charlie, that brands are leaning into those issues as well? Mm, um, I mean, I'm vehemently nodding along with what um, Tamara was saying. I, I don't think brands have a choice. They can't not <laughs> lean into these issues. Um, we see the likes of big players, Google, HSBC, Nike, all localizing their communication strategies. It's all about how you can make more impact and be more caring and considerate within your community. And I, I think we can't really avoid that one. Yeah, it's interesting because these social changes have affected every business. But how have they changed, do you think, the landscape for premium brands? And how are they now engaging with customers, do you think, Charlie? Might be an obvious point, Tanya, but everything moving in home, ultimately, that affects everybody. No one is exempt from that kind of shift of, of, of all activity. And premium brands are moving in home too. Think about... Um, the premiumization of the in-home uh, entertainment experience or the premiumization of uh, furnishings and decor, that's all been concentrated and exacerbated this year. So premium has definitely come home. And that was something we picked up very strongly in the trends work. Um, just to stretch that, even in the car, I think this year, the acceleration of Android and Apple and Amazon um, softwares inside cars, that's all building that premium infotainment experience. So there are new ways it's showing up too. Well, speaking about doing things from home, I was just going to say that we should probably interrupt the conversation to go back to our cocktail and just have another sip. I think this is a good time to do that and see how we feel about the cocktail now that it's sat for a little bit. Mm. It just gets better and better. <laughs> yeah, it's delicious. How does it feel, Alwyn? It feels both warming and uh, effervescent at the same time. It's got a lovely uh, dichotomy of flavours and experience all in one glass. So well done, Eve. I'm loving this. Yeah, it's brilliant. And it's just, it's very refreshing as well. I find it just uh, on the, onto the palate. It just sits beautifully. Oh, is this how you'd normally drink a Balvenie? So I love the way that Eve has played around with the flavour and aroma profile that you'll find in our Doublewood 12-year-old. It's our most famous and well-known whiskey in the range on the Balvenie. And over the years, I think, you know, we've seen a shift away from this um, desire to only enjoy whiskey neat. I'm a big fan of playing around with uh, Scotch whiskey and seeing, you know, how you enjoy it. So I like it uh, in, in a cocktail, definitely. I think it's probably one of our most versatile whiskies in cocktails, just because it's got the gorgeous sweetness from the finish and sherry casks, um, a lovely spice, lovely honeyed maltiness. So you can pull out different flavors and the skill of an amazing bartender like Eve is to be able to utilize that palette of flavors and aromas to pull out individual nuances and make for a really exciting drink. Oh, and you just described that beautifully. <laughs> now, obviously, COVID-19 has hit the on-trade part of the drinks industry very hard with the closure of bars and restaurants. What do you think about that, Owen? And also, Eve, I want to ask you as well how it's affected all of you at Hyde & Company. But Owen, let's hear from you first. Absolutely. I think it's been a devastating year in many ways. I've seen the amount of uh, pain and struggle that a lot of people have gone through throughout the past nine, ten months with, I think, just the yo-yoing of not knowing what to be doing. So it's just that lack of certainty of what's coming around the corner and how to actually prepare for that. At the same time, 
there have been a lot of uh, messages of strength and support and hope and resilience. And I think it's really showcased to the wider consumer, especially in the UK, just how incredible the hospitality industry is and how we really shouldn't underestimate the skill set, the dedication, the time, the energy, the knowledge, the creativity that is playing a major part in this space. I hate seeing the devastation that's been taken to the industry, but I've been absolutely inspired and blown away by the elasticity of it as well. I think that's right, all, and I think we all have to be inspired by just what the hospitality industry is trying to do and trying to achieve in these times. And, you know, Eve, there you are. How has it affected you and all of you at Hyde and Company? I mean, it's certainly been an unusual time uh, and a challenging time for ourselves and for, I'm sure, all of our colleagues in hospitality. Um, but I think out of that, has grown some really interesting diversification of the industry through which we're able to reach out to our guests at home through things like online tastings and masterclasses, cocktail delivery services and takeaway services, and um, teaching our guests the skills that we practice every day to make their drinks at home. Um, hopefully not too well, because obviously we'd like you all to come back and see us in our bars in the near future, I'm sure. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I was just thinking I, I would love, I would have loved a bartender here to help make this drink perhaps more successfully than I've made. <laughs> I'm sure you've done a great job. Tamara, can you tell me a bit about how William Grant has helped? Well, Eva, I want to get back um, into your bar as soon as possible as well. <laughs> Since um, the hospitality industry closed in March 2020, um, William Grant have responded by kicking off the Stamfast campaign. We've been partnering with um, two charities, amazing charities, the Ben in Scotland and the Drinks Trust in uh, England. And uh, they are um, a fantastic help to um, people in the hospitality industry when they're in crisis or in dire need. The Stamfast campaign has so far raised £270,000 to give to these charities. First was an auction with kind of over 400 items with some wonderful whiskies, but also a car randomly that we managed to auction off um, for this uh, cause and also ran a kind of uh, bike ride internally, um, a kind of virtual one with the employees. And everybody keeps this um, cause really close to their heart to support the kind of hospitality industry at this time. Well, it's just wonderful. Oh, and how important do you think has the campaign been for you? I think as a brand ambassador who is working with the on-trade uh, on a day-to-day -day basis and in normal times going in and seeing people, I think there was an immediate desire from all of my fellow brand ambassadors to do whatever we possibly could to help. And I think that seeing um, us come together as a team has also allowed for feelings of connection in these times of isolation. Whilst we might all be communicating uh, separately via social media, you know, creating videos to raise awareness for the campaign, it still allowed us to feel like we were connected as a team, being able to go out and, and help people who really deserve that. It's allowed us to feel like we're able to do something small and I think any time you feel like you can do something small just to make any kind of difference, even if it's a helping hand or picking up the phone or checking in on people. Um, I've been doing some uh, teaching some yoga, just little things. We feel like we can make those personal connections because everything we do 
um, not only as brand ambassadors, but across William Grants, is about that human connection um, through, yes, through our brands, but also because it, we depend so much on the hospitality industry and seeing anyone suffer is hard, but seeing those people you care about the most is even harder. So it's been fantastic to be able to work um, through the Stand Fast campaign to raise funds. Well, it's so important to connect, isn't it, Charlie? And how we see ourselves and others is something that's really changed this past year. It is, Tanya. I think it's um, it's one of the prime examples of those shifts that have been accelerated through this disruption. Before COVID, we were already starting to see the blurring of our physical identities and personalities with what we project digitally and our digital profiles. And to be honest, this year, those lines have completely blurred. Um, most people, as we mentioned, across all generations are impacted by this. But what's interesting is the digital projection of yourself and your identity is no longer quite so curated or no longer quite so aspirational. COVID's been a leveller. So online, people are showing real vulnerability. They're showing their real selves, their real homes. Um, Tamara mentioned shrinking social spheres. And I think the meaningful connections are have definitely shrunk with those we care most about. But the vulnerability, the authenticity we show online is something that we share really widely. Well, tomorrow, with this blurring of our digital selves and physical selves that uh, Charlie's just been talking about, what do luxury brands need to do to stay relevant, do you think? The old formula of um, selling expensive things to people in physical stores has been uh, very difficult at this time. Luxury retailers um, traditionally been right in the centre of metropolitan districts, which have obviously been um, closed down um, with lack of visitors and people going to work. And we've also seen high earners um, decamping to their country retreats, as well as the much publicised move by um, city centre dwellers wanting to get more space. And we've seen some brands already responding to these trends. A brand called Temperley has already kind of moved some of their locations to the home counties. And we've seen um, Fashion Week, for example, move entirely online this year, um, giving everybody access accessibility to that front row seat. Uh, This is like a really key theme that we've identified in the Trending 2021 report, the decentralisation of luxury. Um, And this decentralisation isn't just physical, it's also about the kind of human side of brands as well. So we've all known about purpose and transparency for a while, but now consumers or brands are actually taking people behind the scenes and showing the kind of human side of uh, their brand brands and the people behind those brands. Um, And this really aligns to um, consumers now, um, especially younger consumers who want to feel like the brands that they buy into reflect their values. There's a lovely quote actually from Bain & Co. Um, They say, uh, this crisis may be transforming the luxury industry for good, but it could also be a transformation for the good. Do you agree with that, Charlie? I love that quote, Tamara. I think what I would add to what you've said is the decentralisation of luxury, totally buy into. I also think it's mirrored in the localization of causes. So I think what what is really interesting here is that 
there have always been causes, issues, concerns that people can kind of rally behind in more or less meaningful ways. But what's been interesting about this year is that those uh, issues around sustainability, and I don't just mean environmental sustainability, I mean essential social and fiscal sustainability, they've come right to our doorstep. And these sort of cracks and flaws in, in our systems and societies have, have really been um, front and centre, top of mind. Those with um, greater wealth actually have more of an ability to make an immediate impact in, in new ways and in localised ways too. Have you noticed that being open and truthful is even more important to people and has been this past year, the sort of no filter approach? Has that change happened, do you think? Yes, I think I've really noticed that, um, not only amongst uh, certainly the posts that I put out, but the ones that I'm also uh, noticing get a lot of engagement and also what I'm engaging with. So I think that there has been a real growth in a desire for authenticity. And I think this is also where brands will be able to shine in the future is actually shedding, uh, you know, the the need to be dazzled, you know, shiny and sparkly and everything like that of course we all love a little bit bit of glamour but I think there's been this real shift of people having that desire to feel like they can make connections added to that I think is this um need to feel like we are being open more when it comes to things like mental health in the past there was a lot of nodding towards it a lot of maybe surface interaction but I felt I've really noticed people opening up a lot more via social media whether as individuals or as brands uh, talking about it in a way that really showcases its importance not just as a token thing we need to reflect on you know once a year during mental health awareness week but but throughout the year as well. What's coming next, do we think, Charlie, in terms of how we as consumers see ourselves and others and how should brands approach the future and what should businesses be looking out for, do you think, in the long term? My favourite kind of question, the future-facing question. Well, I think what I would say, what is coming through most strongly, um, I think, in all of our sort of foresight um, initiatives and, and activity is that a word that we've been using a lot actually in this conversation, the word consumer, that is something that I think needs to be fundamentally challenged and reframed as we look ahead. Because if this year has shown us anything, it's that people really value being seen as contributors or at least contributing citizens, as opposed to just consumers. Consumer suggests we're just sat passively at the end of a very linear supply, production, retailing chain. Actually, the most successful players tomorrow will be the ones that connect people, close loops around and with people and treat them as contributors rather than consumers. So that, that would be my big sort of futures takeaway. Oh, well, thank you, Charlie. And thank you, Tamara. And to you two, Alwyn. And of course, Eve. Great to speak with you all. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everybody. So lovely to speak with you all. And please join us for the next episode of Trends Distilled, because we'll be investigating another huge trend influencing consumer behaviour, health. We'll find out what people are doing to stay positive during these challenging times. And our featured bartender is going to show us how to make a low alcohol cocktail. So let us know what's keeping your spirits up. Until next time, stay safe. Goodbye. If you'd like to find out more about the trending 2021 research we've been discussing today, you'll find the full report at williamgrant.com forward slash trending 2021. 
to continue this discussion and to find the recipe for the amazing cocktail we created, head over to at William Grant UK on Instagram or find us on LinkedIn. Thank you so much for listening to today's Trends Distilled.